Hello everybody and welcome back to Beyond the Echo Chamber. I'm your host, Theo Boltman, and welcome to the podcast. Today we'll be interviewing David Southwick. He is a Liberal politician. He's been the member of Caulfield in the Victorian Parliament since 2010. And as of 2018, he was appointed the Shadow Minister for Police, Community Safety and Minister of Corrections. Alrighty, hello David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Theo, great to be here with you. Great. Um, first question, can you tell me a little about how you got into political life and why? Yeah, so I was always very involved and active as a young person. So back in school days, I was involved with um, student politics and uh, also um, very involved when I went to university also. Uh, my also strong passion was around um, helping young people so I always had a very strong focus around things like homelessness. When I first um, left school and left university I got I had a cosmetics company and we gave 10% of our profits to helping different causes. One was around the environment, uh, the other one was around um, homelessness and, uh, and, and in those cases um, we would do some work and I got involved with an organisation called Ardoc Youth Foundation helping, um, again, trying to keep kids at school and provide them literacy, numeracy programs, a whole range of things. So I did that, and it was really passionate about um, trying to help people, and politics was kind of the next step of me being able to um, make wider challenges, but I think, uh, wider changes. But I think for me, it's always been trying to ensure that there is a level playing field, and um, to do that, uh, the, that's where kind of government come in, give people the broad opportunities to succeed, and then kind of um, and and for me, it's always been a hand up, not a hand out, and you know, that's kind of the philosophy that I've lived my life. Um, what do you consider your greatest personal achievement as a member of the Victorian Parliament? So I think one of the things that I've, I mean, each day is a different challenge in politics, and. Um, but I think one of the things for me is I have an area that is has a very strong Jewish community. About 35% of my electorate is Jewish. And there has been always the you know, growing issues of things like anti-Semitism. And a lot of that is because people are largely not educated. And, um, and so it's kind of something which constantly needs work. And so... One of the things that I've worked very hard on in the polit- in the parliament is through a parliamentary Friends of Israel group. I've taken a number of politicians from all sides of politics to Israel. We've brought visitors from Israel into the parliament. And it's been that education process and that awareness and that cultural programs, including having politicians and others visit Caulfield and visit the Jewish community, that has been a really thing thing that you know makes me um, feel as though we are getting somewhere because I think if you can influence many of the leaders from very diverse backgrounds and from very diverse areas, I'm talking about country members, talking about 
you know, again, people from various political parties and various political persuasions, that, you know, that's what hopefully can help make a difference for many of the people that I've grown up with live in it and certainly my community. So that is something that I've, I'm very proud and passionate of, but I know that there's still a lot more work to be done. Um, can you summarise the Liberal Party climate policy? Yeah, well, it, it's, it's interesting you ask that because I'm a state politician and, um, and obviously um, that a lot of the climate change stuff, uh, it, particularly when you're talking about um, renewable targets and that kind of thing, tend to be something that uh, is determined at, at a federal level. But there are things, particularly around the environment, that we at state level need to be involved in and do more. Um, and I think probably one of the things that I would say to you and to your listeners is that I think we at state level, uh, we've just come out of you know an election, we've got three or three and a bit years to the next election. One of the things that I think we need to do a lot more is to have some very strong environment policies. Um, and that's what we're kind of going through at the moment. So. Up until this year, we, we never had a... We had a shadow minister for the environment, but we've now got a shadow minister for the environment and climate change. So I think that's a real positive step forward for the Liberal Party because it shows you at state level that we recognise that climate change is a problem and that we need to have um, targeted solutions for it. And so that's what we're working through at the moment. I had... Uh, uh, in the last term of government, renewables as a shadow minister portfolio as well as energy, and I've always been a big fan of renewables as being a, a key part of the energy mix. But I think when I talk about some of the issues around climate change, what we need to do going forward, at state level, we need practical solutions. So we need things that we're able to evoke and fix at a practical level. Let the federal government set the targets, but we need to be able to show the hands-on grassroots things like, as you just met before, a young person that's come in here and wants to set up a recycling program locally, uh, and the war on waste needs to be something that we need to absolutely target because having product, having waste going to landfill the way that it is is just not good enough, and that is something we need to be very mindful of. Um, things like electric vehicles, you know, one of the things that I was really keen on doing is to provide incentives to be able to get more electric vehicles on the roads. Uh, one of the other things that I did uh, as a policy at the last election in my renewables portfolio is to put solar on schools. So you have solar where it's being used the most during the day, have it in public facilities like schools. They're the kinds of things that we need to be practically doing that effectively is gonna be better for the environment and also helping when it comes to climate change. Um, what other practical solutions do you think are achievable for the state Liberal Party? It, when it comes to climate change or just generally? Uh, mainly when it comes to climate action. Yeah, so, um, so I think that the big challenge right now is what are we going to do with waste? Because it's kind of something where uh, the government collects a landfill levy and that landfill levy that everyone pays basically goes into consolidated revenue, which means instead of it being targeted and spent back on better solutions dealing with waste, it goes into paying for our roads and our public transport and everything else. So if, if, if people are actually charged a levy to deal with re reducing waste and recycling, that's what it should be spent for. 
So I think we need to come up with some really good creative solutions of turning waste into actual products that people can use and not just burying it in the ground. So I think that that war on waste scenario is going to be a really big thing going forward. Waste to energy is another area that we should be looking at as well. Uh, When it comes to, um, as I said before, we need to look at what we need to do with transport because, you know, there's a lot of of issues when it comes to uh, fossil fuels and everything on our our roads. Um, We do need to look at... uh, what the energy is going to be in the future because that's obviously a big emitter of energy. But I've got to say to you, the the argument in terms of, because there's always been, and I know this when I had the energy portfolio, a focus on renewable energy targets. Having a renewable energy target purely as a target doesn't solve the problem of um, reducing emissions. So I think if people are serious about climate change, it's got to be through the lens of how we're going to reduce emissions. So if you look at the biggest emitter of emissions at the moment, it's down at Latrobe Valley, and it's obviously with the coal-fired power stations. So at the moment, many of those coal-fired power stations need to exist because we don't have a solution for baseload power until such time as we get batteries and other things that can, can take take force and I I believe that we're going to get there but it's a matter of time so we need a transition but what you've got at the moment is it's a bit like having an old car if you've got an old car that you haven't spent any money on and the government hasn't invested any money in it then it's an old car that that burns a whole lot of um, pollution and it just gets you from point a to point b that's what's happened to those old coal-fired power stations so they've been rather than being Um, forced to invest money back in their equipment to make sure that you have less emitting um, uh, engines and all that kind of stuff. They haven't spent any money in that stuff, so they're burning a lot more pollutants than they should. So the starting point for me would be to put some more in for, for, for those companies to be, if you like, encouraged to invest money back into that equipment, knowing what the end of life would be and work back and say, right, if we're going to transition out of this coal in whatever many, many years, make make them put invest money into that equipment so there's less pollution being burnt now and then work on other solutions to come in to replace that into the future. And I don't think that that's being properly managed at the moment. There's just, you know, it, there's been a whole lot of talk but not a managed transition out of, out of fossil fuel. So we need to start to edge towards it. We need a transition. So we need a transition that basically um, has a plan to say we know that we're going to be able to bring on this amount of energy. We've got a discussion now about nuclear. You know, that is a conversation piece that some people hate, but other people say, and you know, Paris and other places say it's by far and away the cleanest form of baseload energy. Now, that is, that is something that if that comes to fruition here in Victoria or in Australia, you would be able to transition out of coal almost instantly. But if that's not the case, then it will be more years before you have renewable and other technology available that will allow you 24-7 power. We've got to be able to have 24-7 always on power. Otherwise, you're going to effectively have businesses that can't run properly, people can't run their homes. So you've got to have that as a starting point. 
it's got to be affordable, it's got to be reliable, it's got to work. And if you do all of that and have a focus around um, ensuring that it's clean, then we're on track to have a better solution going forward. Well, I think the problem with nuclear power is that firstly, it takes 17 years to build a nuclear power plant and we don't have that kind of time. And nuclear waste takes 2 million years to like degrade. Like we don't, that's so bad for the environment in a way. So um, there's a couple of things with that. So the 17 years is not the case for being able to build up what they call these scale plants. So you can actually get nuclear into a system quite quickly because they're kind of like, it's like a Lego build. So you can build these smaller capacities and you build them on as you need them. Um, the issue in terms of the the nuclear waste in terms, of, and this, it's all part of you know what needs to be looked at at the moment, is um, how effectively that waste is stored and managed going forward. And it's a different form of waste as opposed to emitting um, into the atmosphere as you would do in terms of coal. It's still a lot cleaner in terms of that form. The biggest issue for nuclear, which needs to be reviewed, is not the waste and it's not the time of getting it into the market. The issue is if you want to end the end of life of the plant. So once you have the plant at, say, 25 years and you don't want to use the plant anymore, it's very expensive to, um, if you like, decommission. And also there could be... um, uh, environmental issues when you get rid of that as well. So there are certainly issues and that's what needs to be evaluated. But I think like like all these options, we need to seriously evaluate it um, because, you know, we need to look at all of our options. I think the other things, you know, that we're looking at, like the um, uh, New South Wales with um, using using you know, water and all that kind of stuff as being other options and and obviously wind, you know, we need to look at everything we possibly can of energy sources, but um, it's important that it's have a baseload power that's available all the time to supplement um, the wind and the solar which currently exists. And in terms of transitioning, don't you think that the Adani coal mine would set us drastically back? Well, again, the Adani situation is something that we've never bought into or been involved in because it's 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 a Queensland um, government um, decision. Um, the coal in Queensland is very different to the coal that we have in Victoria as well. So the coal in Victoria is a soft coal and it means that brown coal, which means that you can't export it. You're basically, it's coal that you've got to use straight away. The coal in New South Wales and Queensland is a black coal and most of that coal is effectively for exports into other countries. Um, so obviously there are decisions that the Queensland government make in terms of the jobs and all of the other things that go with it. Um, but I would say this, and I think that's why it's really important to differentiate between your federal and state responsibilities. Um, a lot of that coal that will come out of Adani will be exported to other countries. So then the conversation piece is to say, well, you might say, well, doesn't Australia have a responsibility in terms of they're providing the coal to say, well, we're not going to provide it? Um, the issue is, you know, who's buying the coal and what they're doing. So, you know, India and other countries are buying it. Why are they buying it? Because at the moment they have no other solution. You know, in terms of their population size and everything else, they're not transitioning out of coal 
India the, actually the, is doing quite well in transitioning to renewable energy. They are doing well, but they're the they're the buyers of the Adani coal, so they're still the one. They're the customer, if you like. So they're setting it up and they want the coal. So the best solution is to have countries coming together and saying, what can we do collectively to ensure we can transition out of the coal and not be as reliant. But at the moment, you've got the big countries like China and India that are still very reliant, and, and US, they're still very reliant on the coal. Uh, until such time as we can come up with other solutions, they're still going to be reliant on the coal. So the argument the Queensland government would make is they're, they're effectively creating the program, the product, and the product for mining the coal doesn't isn't the effect on the environment. The problem is when you burn it. So when you burn it, uh, then the the issue is who's burning it, and the the and the issue is ultimately going to be um, be the be the country that's basically got it. So um, and so you know it's a, it's a very very interesting debate, and obviously there is a lot of people there that say, well, you know, why should Australia's responsibility should to not not to be involved in the first place? Um, Queensland government's decided that they that they think it's important for the jobs and that's why they've gone forward. I mean, again, what I would say is it is really, really important if we're serious is to ensure that we have new energy sources going forward that can replace the coal, and I'm a big fan of that. And I think Victoria particularly can lead the way, and this is where we differ, but we can lead the way because we've got some great universities like Swinburne University, Melbourne University, Monash University, La Trobe University, that are doing some really, really interesting, Deakin also in Geelong, really interesting work about renewables and other energy sources. So we could be leaders in coming up with new energy that is not only available for here in Victoria, but we could make that available for the rest of the world. Well, regarding the job situation in Queensland, they've had to scale it down from 10,000 jobs to 100 jobs. I mean, that's not many jobs, so I don't think that's a real argument anymore regarding, like, jobs in Queensland. They may as well build two McDonald's there. Yeah, well, look, again, it's not my decision to make in that it's a Queensland state government decision, Labor government decision that's basically made made that decision to go forward. Um, but what I would say is... Um, you know, the, argu- the argument that would be used in terms of the jobs is there are ongoing jobs and there's build cost jobs. It's a bit like uh, the government of the day here will look at saying when you build a wind farm, you're going to get hundreds of jobs. The hundreds of jobs in building a wind farm is the construction of the wind turbines. Once you've got it, there are a couple of jobs in managing it because they kind of manage themselves. So I know the jo- job argument gets used in a whole range of different ways, um, but... Uh, the um, yeah the reality is you know the Queensland government needs to make their decision. They've made their decision as to what they want to do with Adani. Um, but as I say, Victoria's role because Victoria, you know whether we were in government, I'm in opposition at the moment statewise, but we're in government opposition. Our role, we'd have no say in that. But what I would say is what Vic- role Victoria can play is come up with new energy options and be a leader in the, the um, new energies of the future, and I think they, that could be something that's very, very exciting. Mm. Um, as a politician who has school-aged children, what are your thoughts on the school strike movement? So I'm a supporter of young people standing up for what they believe. I think that's really, really important. I really do. And, um, and you know, I think it's great that young people have a voice and young people um, take action. 
I've always been a big believer in action being louder than words. So it's all very well for people to kind of get out there and protest and saying, you know, we're unhappy with something. But I think what's even better is people doing something about it. So um, that's why practical solutions to things are always better, always better. The, the I suppose the thing that I've had concerns with on the current protests that we've seen of late is um, largely when protests take place. So I, I'm not a fan of um, effectively kids taking off school to go and protest um, because I just think that you know school time should be for school time. Um, but but you know if kids decided that they were going to do something after hours or on weekends or on school holidays or whatever they wanted to do, I think absolutely go for it. I think that's really really important. And I think, you know, the reason largely is because where do you draw the line? You know, where at some point you turn around and say, well, you know, but somebody wants to take off because they don't like this and they don't like that. You might you might argue, well, climate change is so important. It's it's the one thing that we, you know, kids can actually down tools for and, and not go to school for. But, you know, there are a lot of other issues out there that young people also care about. And, you know, should they also not attend school for that as well? I think the main thing is that climate change is the number one, should be the number one issue and is leering over us and millions of people are already feeling the effects. I mean, Mm. there's plenty of islands around Australia that are drowning. So again, I have no issue at all in terms of that being, you know, for many young people, their number one issue. I think that that's that's great. But my my response to that would be that... um, we should empower young people to take action. And for me, a lot of that action can actually be done in the schools. So, you know, we just had a young person in as you um, as you met and she told me that her school doesn't have a recycling program. So a thing that you could do straight up is you could get a recycling program um, done, you could get a tree program done, you could get kitchen gardens done you could do a whole range of things in schools that are very practical i had another young person approach me about putting some solar and getting quotes in her school so they're all great things that kids could be working on as a project in their school showing leadership and taking action and be done within the school time and get a solution so i don't doubt that it isn't the young person's number one issue but i just think you know taking off school to effectively do it is not necessarily the best answer. Uh, I met a lot of young people that did take off school, and when I spoke to them about they do it, they said, "Oh, well, you know, we just you know take took off school time." You know, so I think you want people genuinely to go there because they really care, and I think you get more from it, and you also get more respect from others too around when people say, "You know what? These kids really do care because they're here on a Sunday, or they're here, you know, at 5 p.m. on a Friday, and they're here." in their own time because they really, really care and they want to do something about it. So I think you could have your cake and eat it too. So you could do your protests, which I think are really important to raise awareness. And young people should never be denied that, or any person shouldn't be denied that. But also you could, we should be able to do some practical things also that that make a difference. Mm. Um, Moving on from the climate crisis, As a member of the Melbourne Jewish community, which has the highest amount of Polish Holocaust refugees in the world, how do you feel about the way that the Australian Liberal Party treats asylum seekers today? Well, look, 
that's an interesting one because again, um, a lot of the lot of those issues is um, a th- a, a decisions that the federal government must make, and we at state level don't kind of um, get to deal in so much with that. But I think, I think my focus, if you like, if you like, where I think the importance of asylum seekers should come and the priority should come, is for every person that we bring into Australia and in turn specifically into Victoria, if we invest a dollar bringing them here, we should also invest another $3 in ensuring that they are properly settled here and have all of the opportunities going forward. And that's where I think the Victorian government can play a role. So, And that's where I think the Victorian Liberal Party should play a role. And so what I mean by that is um, if, we, if we just settle people in and they don't have an education, they don't have a job, they don't have access to housing and support services, then we end up in a chaotic mess. And who gets blamed? A lot of those um, new immigrants that have arrived get blamed for their issues. I've got um, corrections and police as my two shadow portfolio and community safety. So we have a huge issue at the moment of a lot of um, of young Africans that are, that are effectively getting themselves into trouble and a lot of families that that um, don't have the support around them and around these young people. And that's where the investment needs to be. So those young people need to have jobs, education, training, support, everything that goes with it. And I think what's happened is we haven't done that well. So if you look at Israel, for an example, which is fantastic, when they've settled a lot of African um, immigrants into Israel, they've had a three-year absorption program where a lot of those... Um, immigrants, they learn the language, they learn um, basic skills, they get some education and they're job ready. And by the time they're actually ready to actually um, contribute to society, they're fully integrated into the community. That's the kind of thing that I think we need to do more of. Um, A lot of the children that are now off Nauru are terribly mentally damaged and most of them don't have access to the treatment they need. Um, do you think it's the coalition's job to help these children? I think it's anyone's job to help them. You know, I think that um, I think that if, if people are suffering from mental health, is one of the biggest issues facing our community from all from all different parts um, and from all different reasons for all all different reasons. And I think, and particularly young people, we've got to be able to provide the support possible to ensure that young person has every opportunity. Um, I've always been a big supporter of early intervention. A dollar spent now will save $3 in the future. And so, you know, whatever whatever support that's needed to help young people being able to get their lives on track, then I'm a supporter of that. But I think with this situation, it's very different to kids like me who are in school who might suffer from mental health issues these kids are really badly damaged due to the treatments they've received from the Australian government on Nauru. So again, I'm not going to get in, get you know caught up in terms of what what specific elements or issues these kids have experienced, other than to say this, and that is that if we have a young person that is suffering or suffered trauma, um, and I can tell you there are many um, young people that have immigrated to Australia and the young asylum seekers that are here now that also have suffering tremendous mental health issues, they should be supported. 
So um, there is absolutely, if we don't support those young people, they end up becoming huge um, concerns in terms of getting their life on track. And, you know, it leads to a whole other set of issues as well, you know, resulting in, as I say, my other portfolio in terms of corrections. We have a youth justice system that's exploding at the moment because we have young people that have not been properly supported. We need to support those young people and provide whatever help that they need um, necessary to ensure that they can have a fruitful and prosperous life. Um, final question. What are you most passionate about in your electorate? That's a very good question. Um, so I, I, there are a number of things um, locally for me. I think um, Caulfield's a wonderful place. Uh, but, you know, I think that we need to ensure that we've got, um, we still continue to have a lot of the services. We've got, we're being squeezed out of open space, so we're seeing lots of development that's happening locally, and we've got the lowest amount of open space of any municipality in the state. So that means we don't have the parks, we don't have the open space, we don't have the sporting fields. And I think, we just spoke about mental health, I think that's a huge issue. If people no longer have um, backyards and playgrounds and sporting fields to kick a footy around or you know um, see a tree grow or whatever it is, and they're caught up in a little um, apartment with not much open space, then that causes a whole lot of other issues for them. So I think that that's going to be something going forward. Uh, I'm very, very always been very passionate about opportunities for young people going forward, and so that is something that I'm always really keen and passionate about and will continue to do so and you know I think that um, I think for me also uh, we've got a really strong area that prides itself on education we've got you know probably the largest amount of um, uh, private schools uh, that obviously people really care about not that the public system isn't important as well but, you know, I think that schooling is really important to, to people and we've got to make sure we've got the best schools going forward and the best opportunities for young people as well. So I suppose, yeah, for me it's youth. It's about, um, it's about ensuring that we have um, a community that people can really enjoy. And as I say, the open space is important. And as you said um, as well, I think a clean and a safe environment as well. You know, you don't want to go down the streets and see the waste. We, I'm involved every month with a um, uh, Love Your City, um, which we have a clean-up every month where we clean up rubbish locally. And you would be amazed at the kind of stuff that we find just littering our streets. Um, yeah, I don't think that's something that should happen. I think we should all really be caring about where we live and, 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 um, and be doing the right thing in, in elimin eliminating waste. And that's kind of one of the things I really, really would want to be focused on. Um, and then I suppose lastly is where we where I suppose started this conversation, and that is I'm a passionate Jew, and I'll always you know, do and stand up for what's right. Uh, we've got growing anti-Semitism like we've never seen before. I think a lot of work needs to be done still around awareness and not just um, standing up against hate for the Jewish community, but bullying of anyone. Um, so I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done around. Um, understanding different people's cultures, backgrounds and respect, respect um, of, of one another and valuing one another. I think the best thing about Victoria is that we're a multicultural society. We have people from all different backgrounds and that we've been very successful because of that. We can't lose that. When we have people that 
uh, attack one another because they've got a different background, um, then I think we kind of hit the real low end of society. And I think we've got to ensure that we, we build, we value people's one another cultures and we, we use that to enrich our lives. And I think that's probably one of the most important things going forward. Um, do you have any statement just to finish off the podcast? <laughs> well, I suppose um, I think what you're doing is really good. So uh, I think these podcasts are really important. It's interesting because, you know, you probably expected today that you and I would vary a lot on our views because I'm a liberal. Um, I, I think, you know, politics is a very interesting thing and that is people get labelled in terms of oh, if you're it's a bit like a football team, if you're a Collingwood supporter, um, you're not a Collingwood supporter, are you? No. <laughs> um, but it's interesting when people say you follow a certain football team, you all of a sudden get labelled as you know people either like you or they don't like you, which is a bit the same as political parties. I think most people do this job because they want to make a difference and that's the great thing about politics. There are good and bad people in all parties. Um and, you know, I think the real issue is extreme right and extreme left are not where people want to be. I think people want to be somewhere in the middle. And, you know, I think that that's probably, that's where I sit as well. And I think the most important thing as part of that is people want to see politicians that have a heart and that care. And that's why, again, I've got involved is because I do care about a world that is a better place. I've got young youngish kids. I want to make sure that they grow up in an environment that is a, a, a clean environment, a, a state and a country that flourishes and that you know, a place where people can prosper and, and you can be rewarded for your hard work. And I think that's something that I've always been really passionate about. And so whatever we need to do to work together to do that, I think we need to do it. I think the difference is some people have different ways of getting there. So we can all ride the train we might board at different times and some people might take the bus, not the train, but the journey is what's important and ultimately getting to the end destination is what we've all got to do. So we might have different ways of being able to protect our planet, ensure that our planet survives and thrives, but we've got to be on the we've got to be on the same we've got to be on a journey. It might not be the same journey, but the destination's gotta to, gotta to be where we arrive. So that's what I would say to you in terms of you know, I might not be the, the one leading the climate change protest this week. And, um, you know, I in fact find that, again, that kind of stuff, um, you may raise the issue, but at the same time you offside a whole community in, the, in doing it. Whereas I'd love a whole lot of people turning around saying, right, for the next two weeks this is what we're going to do, which is going to be a massive effort in terms of helping our environment. So for me, it's practice practical solutions, hands-on solutions and getting things done. That's what I'm really passionate about and that's what I'll continue fighting for. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a great episode and you essentially just proved what my podcast is about, which is how the political spectrum doesn't really exist and a lot of people want you, the media wants you to either be left-wing, which is like climate accepting, blah, 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 or right-wing where you're a homophobic, climate-denying, anti-Semitic, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I think, yeah, this podcast has really had in had been an insight for me and a lot of other people on how we can intersect and how right wing and left wing people can have similar opinions. Well done. So keep thanks up so the good much work for being on the podcast. No worries. Pleasure. Mm-hmm.
Thank you.